0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, and we are coming to you now with only, I think, the 15th or 16th video on The Last of Us Part Two in the last eight weeks here on the channel. But for those of you who are sick of this conversation already, I don't blame you, but there is a lot to dig into with respect to the business and marketing and reporting on the games industry And I think there was a lot of insight given to us by this Polygon article that went up yesterday by Patricia Hernandez called The Last of Us Part 2 has become a minefield. Devs, critics, and fans butt heads over one of the year's biggest games. Now, the basic premise of this article is The Last of Us Part 2 was reviewed astoundingly well, 94 on review score, collating site Metacritic. It has already sold the fastest ever in the history of PlayStation as a brand. I think it had more than 4 million copies sold in three days. But as Patricia Hernandez describes here, within large swaths of the video game community, the discussion of this game has become toxic. The Dower stage was set before release when part of the game leaked online. As we know, this is a topic of much conversation here in virtual legality. We did more than a dozen episodes on Sony trying to control the leaked information. Sony trying to issue DMCA takedown notices and succeeding in large part because of the YouTubes and the Twitters and the Facebooks of the world having all of these incentives in the DMCA to just take them down sight unseen. And regardless of the fact that Sony was using its copyright powers to strike things like sentences, which have no copyright coordination with what was actually the material that leaked online. Nevertheless, what you won't see in this article is reference to that particular issue. You won't see a discussion about Sony abusing the DMCA, striking down at all of these places. And the reason for that, and we will talk about this at length as we dive into this article, which will of course be linked in the description to this video, I think can be summed up in this last sentence of the second paragraph. Upset by some of the story beats revealed in the leak and the game's LGBTQ representation, some bigoted reactionaries began a campaign to spoil the experience for other folks. Now, understand, I think that sentence broadly is correct. There are bad actors in every fan base, in every anti-fan base, and those bad actors undoubtedly you could see operating on YouTube and on Twitter and on various other places. That being said, now having played the game, having the ability for myself to talk about the issues that I have with its story, its narrative, and its character motivations, I think you can see that you didn't have to be a bigoted reactionary to speak out against what you were seeing in these leaks. Now, I wouldn't do that. I didn't look at the leaks before the game's release because I want to have the story presented to me as they would see it presented to me, but I can hardly blame people for checking them out. And if they came to certain conclusions on their own, yes, there were undoubtedly bad actors as a part of that group, but not every single one was a bad actor. And to put them into that kind of camp, to divide people into tribes here and have them fighting against each other on a kind of cultural basis... I think is the crux of the problem here. And it's one that Naughty Dog is struggling to deal with. And an article like this that makes these kinds of assumptions doesn't really help with. But we will see that, especially as we get towards the end of this article. Now, Neil Druckmann, creative director of the game, says, It was one of the worst days of my life when the leak happened. He said this in a YouTube interview with Kind of Funny, which we can actually go and we can pull up here. This is what it looked like. It has... Uh, Greg from Kind of Funny, Troy Baker as Joel in the bottom corner, Ashley, I think it's Johnson as Ellie, and Neil Druckmann in the top right. And one of the things that he said is he saw these leaks happen, and it was one of the worst days of his life. In fact, we know it was because immediately after these leaks happened, that's when you got this entire series of videos from me. I wasn't paying attention to really The Last of Us Part Two, other than knowing its release date, until this happened a couple of months ago, And then started a series where the very first question I asked was, is Sony illegally using the DMCA to muzzle Last of Us leaks? And came to the conclusion over the course of this series that if they weren't abusing it, they were right up against the line. And in my opinion, really over the line in many respects. If you're just talking about the facts of the leaks, if you're not using any screenshots, any videos, that's a significant problem. And I can totally understand why Sony wants to squash the conversation, but that doesn't make it legally right. And one of the issues that I have with this kind of characterization that you see here and with the discussion that has kind of grown up around The Last of Us Part Two, is that it is so easy to look away, to hide your eyes from this kind of legal abuse because you disagree with whoever you think is otherwise causing trouble in the world. That, oh, Sony might be abusing the law, but they're only doing it against bigoted reactionaries. It's so easy to get into that space And I don't really blame people for that. It's a very human response to want to other those other folks and say, well, if you are doing something that I disagree with, then Sony should be able to use whatever cudgel they want because the law should be no bar to justice. We'll talk about that again at the end. But Neil Druckmann does say it was one of the worst days of my life. He says a few hours later, the leak is everywhere. You're starting to get hate on every social media you're on. And soon this turns into death threats, anti-Semitic remarks, and just craziness that I could never have anticipated. And this was all on that interview. But one of the things I do want to point out, because we're going to talk about a lot of things that I think Naughty Dog is doing wrong here in the rest of this video. One of the things that I don't think they admitted to as part of this is something that I saw kind of shown around online. And that was this kind of notion that what they said was in fact them admitting to doing this DMC abuse and Neil Druckmann saying it specifically. And what he actually winds up saying in this space is he winds up saying that there's a lag. So it takes like an hour to take down. He was watching it in real time. It had like hundreds, maybe a thousand views before it all got taken down. And then you just sit there and your heart breaks, right? And so What he's actually referring to there, and what he admits on this video is that they went and tried to take the actual primary content, the leaked video footage, the leaked screenshots, whatever other footage was a part of those leaks, they tried to take them down directly. And I will tell you here, as I say in this tweet, that as a guy that takes this DMCA story very seriously, that has reported on it in all corners about what Sony and Naughty Dog was doing wrong, what their proxy Muso TNT Limited was doing wrong. This was not one of those cases, or at least it wasn't admitted on video on the kind of funny games cast. Sony absolutely has the right to go find those cutscenes and take them down. What they don't necessarily have the right to do is take down discussion of what was in those cutscenes. You can't copyright facts, you can't copyright ideas, you can't copyright the storyline or narrative. What you can copyright are the words, the script, the actual images, and the video, and then you start getting into a fair use conversation, but Sony never really grappled with that. But Neil Druckmann, Sony, Naughty Dog, whomever, isn't wrong to say we can go grab the leaks. That is 100% their material, and if there's no commentary, if there's no even fair use kind of argument, they can absolutely go grab those, it's within their rights. So I don't want to get bogged down with things that Naughty Dog hasn't admitted to doing when there's so very much more that they have admitted to doing. Now, again, we get into a similar kind of sentence from Ms. Hernandez here at Polygon where they talk about what is happening with respect to the reviews of this game that you saw a lot after the leaks of this game is straight garbage. I have a lot of those comments in my reviews. That seems to be one of the lines that people are using. But then you have, again, a kind of leap of faith analysis of where those are coming from. It seems unlikely that these opinions are coming from people who have actually played the game, given that it's impossible to explain how The Last of Us Part Two could have racked up hundreds of negative user reviews on Metacritic immediately after launch. Those two parts of the sentence don't work together, right? Undoubtedly, getting all those negative reviews, having a review bomb imposed on the game probably isn't people that played the game. That's undoubtedly true. But it doesn't necessitate the reasoning that if that happened if there were review bombs, that the people that you are seeing now as of this article written on june 30th that those opinions of people that didn't like the game are coming from people who have who haven't played the game right i had very significant issues with the narrative i had significant issues with the character motivation i 100 percent played the game played it all the way through almost 30 hours long Uh, And I enjoyed certain aspects of it, and I highlighted those as well. But while I wouldn't say it's straight garbage, I do think it has very significant story issues. So I don't think you can just dismiss this. And again, we have this, again, kind of slight as to the people who would bother commenting on the fact that they didn't like The Last of Us Part 2. Continuing on, discussion about the survival horror game was also hampered by unusually restrictive embargo guidelines which included sentences like do not include any beat-by-beat descriptions of pivotal narrative or cutscene moments and do not reveal the fate of any character or the inciting event. This prevented websites from discussing any specifics of the game's story, which was tricky considering that the game reveals something surprising within its first two hours that impacts the remainder of its 20-30 to hour journey. We're not going to dive into spoilers here, but that's absolutely true. And you could see in some of the reviews that talked about the game more critically, even during the review week, That they were hampered by this. You have that famous now skill up review that basically said, hey, everything that might bother you about this game appears in the portion of the game that I am not allowed to talk about. So I will say that. I will give that disclaimer. But that's a little bit unfair. Even the Washington Post, which I think gave the game a perfect score, said it's very difficult to talk about. This is highly restrictive, highly unusual. And I wound up going out there and saying, hey, You know, Neil Druckmann goes out and says, you aren't having enough critical discourse, which we will see later in this article. And he is admonishing the journalists that are critiquing the game in ways that he doesn't like. And I went out there and said, hey, you know, for a game that has this ridiculously harsh embargo, you're one to talk because I'm sure they would engage in more critical discourse if they could talk at all about some of the major aspects of the game. This was before I had played it. A number of people came out and said, well, it's probably Sony. It's probably not Naughty Dog. It's probably not Neil. And in that very same kind of funny interview here is what he actually said naughty dog being naughty pr their public relations and maybe they won't like me saying this says neil told us just let people say whatever they want in reviews don't have that embargo they're going to talk about that it's going to make people mad they are going to get upset with this restriction and we said he neil talking as naughty dog i don't care so to be very clear here sony their pr firm their marketing." didn't want that embargo thought this was too much control this was too stifling that games journalists like jason schreier and rob zachney and others who we will see referenced in this article would get upset would get mad at this kind of tight control that is being placed upon their own analysis of this game and neil said i don't care right it's my game i don't care it's all naughty dog all neil Druckmann." against the advice of sony who is busy at the same time going out there with dmca takedowns the likes of which we have never seen from a major publisher on a major game and so while i don't think you can tie neil druckman and naughty dog based on what he said to all the issues with these dmca takedowns i do think based on the notion of i don't care There was a certain philosophy at Naughty Dog during this whole time after the leaks happened that said, we are just gonna control the narrative, law be damned, journalists be damned, whatever anybody thinks of us be damned because I don't care. And it gets worse from there. As this article continues, you have those embargo deadlines and a hypothesis from Ms. Hernandez about why this happened. Why go through such lengths? Especially when the internet was flooded with half-informed takes and speculation based on what that had already leaked. Control is her answer. Naughty Dog no longer steered the narrative of The Last of Us Part Two, and this was one way to try and regain control. As Kotaku reported, Naughty Dog at one point showed a fake scene during a trailer to make people believe that a character would be more present in the game than they actually were. Now, I want to take a sidebar here, because a number of people have come into the comments to my videos and asked me whether that is false advertising. The answer to that is in all likelihood, no. False advertising has to deceive someone on the nature of the product presented. And I know a number of you are already preparing your comments to say, well, that's what it did. But in the world of storytelling, in the world of media, movies, TV, video games, this has basically been allowed. You've been allowed to deceive people in things like trailers because what is promised to you, what is advertised to you is a complete story on the basic premise Of what you are seeing, but not the details. And most famously, if you aren't familiar with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Infinity War had a giant set of trailers that showed the incredible Hulk, the big green guy running alongside the rest of the Avengers to do something. And that never appeared in the movie. As we saw in the trailers, the Hulk fights alongside the other heroes during the Battle of Wakanda, which is not what happens. Speaking at a question and answer session at George Washington University, the Russo brothers admitted the trailer was a classic case of misdirection. Joe Russo admitted that Hulk was digitally inserted into the trailer just to disguise the transformation plot point. And false advertising says you're not allowed to deceive someone on the nature of the product. But one thing that happens with the story is what product you are selling them is something that hopefully will be a story that is satisfying. And as the producer of that story, you can make the case that surprise, that not knowing all of the plot points in advance is something that is useful to you actually enjoying the product. And I think for a long time, that's basically where this kind of question has been set. So while I understand people getting upset at this kind of trailer technique, having a character present that doesn't actually appear, it's not the kind of thing that generally rises to the level of false advertising. And as we've talked about in Virtual Legality before, it's not the kind of thing that the FTC who kind of monitors this, this false advertising and deceptive trade practices kind of claim is likely to move against, right? We're talking about video games. We're talking about relatively small level consumer goods. I know $60 isn't a small amount of money necessarily, but it's also not the same amount of money associated with a pharmaceutical killing you or a refrigerator or something else along those lines. So the FTC isn't necessarily going to focus on these kinds of things. That being said, It does, as Naughty Dog, represent a certain breach of trust, right? Neil Druckmann in the interview with Kind of Funny says he was very motivated by uh, Metal Gear Solid 2, which if you aren't familiar with is a little bit older, I'm a little bit older, and featured a character in its trailers that you didn't actually play as for the bulk of the game. And so they did a swap. They did a complete swap of the character that you were playing as, and this surprised a lot of people. A lot of people got upset, but it wasn't really false advertising in the way that we might think of it, although that was closer than this. Now, the article continues. This was actually what caused me to make this video because this was a big surprise to me. The vibe around the game hasn't gotten much better since then, since the leaks. On June 12th, Vice published its review of The Last of Us Part Two, which we're going to look at right this second. It's entitled, The Last of Us Part Two is a grim and bloody spectacle, but a poor sequel. The game's operatic tone and length can't obscure the simplicity of the themes it repeats to exhaustion, and its grandiosity is poorly served by a Naughty Dog house style that has become less a signature than a straitjacket. In fact, this might be the least challenging of any of Naughty Dog's action adventures, and that puts a lot of pressure on the storytelling of The Last of Us 2 to carry the experience. But while there is a lot of story to be told here, it doesn't have much to say. It is also the growing lack of justification. Nobody ever reconsiders their quest for vengeance. Everyone acts under a kind of vindictive compulsion that goes little remarked and unexamined. Anger and grief are understandable motivations at the start of a revenge quest, but The Last of Us 2 never follows through on the work of exploring what sustains them past reason and scruple. Now, these are harsh words. This is a very negative critique of the game, especially based on its narrative elements. Now, if this isn't the first Last of Us Part 2 video you've watched in Virtual Gallity, you might notice some reflection in what Vice had to say, or as I said in my initial tweet after finishing the game, credits roll on The Last of Us Part 2, the prettiest game about virtually nothing that was ever made. Had a good time with it, but narratively the story is ludicrous. The character motivations bipolar and the pacing atrocious. Anyone interested in a post-mortem, which of course I would go on to do, it's one of our most popular videos on this channel. You can check out the first 15 minutes if you're interested in the spoiler-free discussion of the game. But we talk about the problems with character motivations, the problem with pacing, the problem with setting up a legitimate revenge quest and actually talking about what that means. And we reflect on the fact that Naughty Dog and Neil Druckmann and his co-writer don't appear to have a good handle on what they were even trying to achieve, which says one thing to me. If Hoaglaw were a part of Games Journalism, if they were Vice, if we were making this video in this same capacity as Vice did, well, we might have some trouble, because what actually happened here is the following: while the vast majority of reviewers view- have lavished The Last of Us Part Two with all sorts of praise, a handful of outlets, Polygon included, have been slightly more critical of the blockbuster game. According to Zachney, Vice's review prompted a Sony representative to reach out on behalf of Naughty Dog. I want to repeat that line. It appears in the thumbnail, but it's important. Vice's review prompted a Sony representative to reach out on behalf of Naughty Dog. They felt some of the conclusions I reached in my review were unfair and dismissed some meaningful changes or improvements. Zachney told Polygon over Twitter messages. They felt the conclusions I reached in my review were unfair. Now, Zachney clarified that the exchange wasn't confrontational, but that it was nonetheless unusual as the site doesn't typically have big publishers asking in an official capacity why a review reads the way that it does. Such things can happen, says Ms. Hernandez at Polygon. Of course, though often with smaller developers or from publishers who have spotted a factual error, In a piece that they want corrected right if the vice article said there was no prone button and they wish there was then absolutely sony naughty dog come come on and say okay yes there's a prone button you should know it it's over here this has happened you've seen reviews at ign and gamespot and other big kind of outlets say oh i missed that button i missed that tutorial and we changed a paragraph in the review what they appear to be complaining about and i read the whole vice article is narrative critiques of their storyline. And to actually have someone come without a physical problem, without missing a button, without missing a tutorial, without misunderstanding a primary functionality of the game and say, hey, we think your conclusions were unfair. Yeah, it might very well not be confrontational. It might very well be cordial. But it already accomplished the mission that is so problematic when we talk about games journalism. You have already put out there, we're watching you. We will contact you just to let you know that it's a nice outlet you have here. It would be a shame if anything were to happen to it. And to suggest that your reasoning, your understanding of this pop culture media item that we put out there is unfair He finishes by saying, I was happy to unpack a bit of my reasoning and received a perfectly cordial message in response. And Naughty Dog's PR team declined to comment on Polygon's inquiry about its exchange with Vice. This has been a crazy story, completely crazy from the start of this thing through the end. And I will tell you, I have been a Sony fan, a PlayStation fan since the mid nineties. I got a PlayStation one the day it was released. I've loved video games my whole life. The entirety of how Sony has treated this issue, and with what's coming out in articles like this one from Polygon, has completely soured me on at least the Naughty Dog branch of the Sony family, but probably Sony proper, in how they are dealing with this. This was a shame. You can see me saying this in a number of my videos. I would prefer that all of this information had not leaked, because I had to dodge leaks for eight weeks. But that doesn't mean that you get to abuse the law. It doesn't mean that you get to call into question basically every games journalism outlet that exists because every single conspiracy theorist among you and probably half the comments to this video will say, I knew it. This is access journalism at its finest. They came and they rattled the saber a little bit, said, what are you even doing? Why didn't you talk nicely about our video game? We think you were unfair. And while I sit here and say, yeah, I don't think people are getting paid off. Yes, they get certain amounts of access. Yes, they want to get those review copies. I can't tell you that this isn't a major breach of the kind of ethical relationship that a product manufacturer should have with those that are reviewing that product. And the fact that this actually got out there to a Polygon article is fantastic for transparency, But it's all the more frightening because it suggests that Polygon was willing to go out with this and that there might be more of these kinds of stories. Vice is no small thing. So when you talk about these kinds of things, when this kind of thing happens, who can blame people for saying, yeah, I don't trust them? And that's a problem because I want to trust them. I want to have a relationship where you can trust the games journalist, where you can trust the people putting out the game. And unfortunately, this has just descended even further, right? This article uses certain phrases here that says Neil Druckmann has gone out there to wag his finger at journalists who were comparing The Last of Us Part II to Schindler's List. It says God of War's quarry Barlog closed ranks around Druckmann going so far as to unfairly position, that's the editorial from this article, dissenting opinion as an attempt to tear developers down. And you can see the wagon circling here from Ms. Hernandez and Polygon, right? Again, we talked about tribes, we talked about groups, and you can see, yes, They're wagging the finger at journalists. They are unfairly positioning dissenting opinion as an attempt to tear developers down. They are being mean to games journalism outlets, and that's not okay, which is fine. I agree. That's what I just said. But when we talk about these issues, it's not just games journalists that have this happen to them, right? You get a fight now in the rest of this article between Jason Schreier and Troy Baker that I've tweeted about. If you follow my Twitter, you can follow that as well. Mostly they're being silly at each other. Jason has said something about Last of Us. Troy has said the critics don't count, only the art counts. Troy Baker is uh, an interesting interview. I, I do recommend checking him out. He, he says some stuff. But then you get to the end kind of conclusion of this article, right? You get to the end here and it says the following. It says, That protective shield around The Last of Us Part Two can be seen anytime the creatives or talents behind the game jump into critical conversations about it. It's made talking about the game exhausting. On the one hand, we have bigots trying their hardest to tear the game down for its inclusion of queer characters, which again, I think there are bad actors everywhere. I personally haven't seen that happening very often, but I am sure they are out there. And Ms. Hernandez puts that on one hand, a whole group of people. On the other hand, we've got the people who actually made the game, putting their figurative fists up and fighting for it. On the third hand, We've got fans and professional critics trying to share their own takes on the game, good and bad, and everything in between. Now, here's the main problem with this, as you could tell from some of the references in the article. The difference between the third hand and the first hand is one of subjective manipulation, right? This is always going to be in the eye of the beholder. That my negative critique, and you can see in the comments to my video, a number of people accused me of thinking various thoughts about inclusion and diversity in the game, despite not referencing it once, because I didn't think it was important to talking about the problems I saw, the fundamental structural issues that I saw with respect to the game. That in this kind of context, with this kind of passion and fighting from all of these various groups, it is so easy for the second group to say everybody in the third group is in the first group. And to have all of these dividing lines between tribes to dismiss any legitimate criticism based on the fact that, oh, you're a games journalism outlet that reported on the leaks and we don't like journalists. So, oh, we think your opinion is unfair. Oh, we looked at the Hoglaw video, but we think that because it's critiquing the game, it's somehow the talk of a bigot, right? And when you get into those conversations, you have very real problems. Now, this article actually ends with a lot of stuff I agree with. If we are truly taking the game seriously, nuanced and critical conversations aren't just necessary. They need to happen without fear that you will be perceived as a bully or enemy, which is one of the problems with that tribal approach. Because once you believe that there is a significant portion of the people that are critiquing this product out of bad faith, and maybe once you believe, and that's an accurate description of events, once there are enough bad faith actors, You wind up just sliding anybody you disagree with. You wind up othering them, dehumanizing them, and just declaring to the world that they are bigoted or ist of some kind. And that creates its own problem. Now that it's falling on journalists, now that Troy Baker is calling out Jason Schreier, now that Neil Druckmann is wagging his finger at reporters, you get articles like this one in Polygon. But this has been the relationship between Sony and Naughty Dog and the people reporting on the leaks for two months now. You start to see the flaws in our current setup. You, you start to see the flaws of the review process, the games journalism process, and the real issues with access and actually talking about these kinds of things. But based on my own conversations with fellow critics, many have assumed an air of wariness about the Last of Us Part Two discourse, and I can vouch for that as well with the folks that I've talked to. It feels as if there are these larger forces working towards maintaining the status quo, when it comes to big budget games and that's fundamentally i think the real issue here in general video game reviews are of a nature of a kind of consumer report so if you have a high enough production value if you are a triple a game you are almost certainly going to get an eight or above and then we're going to talk about the details with something like the last of us part Two, which is a narrative cinematic game telling a single story with ridiculously good graphics and detail you get these 95% 10 out of 10 reviews because video game journalists aren't necessarily trained or inclined to review the narrative aspects of the game. They're inclined to review, oh, the shooting was fun, the jumping was fun, the level design was good, look at the detail, look at the graphics, but not do the character motivations make any sense from this scene to this scene four minutes later. And I'll tell you in The Last of Us Part Two, they don't, that's of course my opinion, but I also think it's accurate, and you can see the Vice article agrees with me. But we have to have those conversations if we want video games to ever actually tell stories that are of a similar level and quality to those we see in movie and television. Ms. Hernandez is exactly right. It's not enough that the game is selling well and that most reviews are positive. You can't fall out of line with that general consensus, even as a joke without having to worry about whether or not a publisher will be looking over your shoulder or if hundreds of fans will blow up your social media. It is not an environment that is conducive to encouraging honest reviews or critical discussion, which is ultimately a disservice to the game, and I would argue the entire industry itself. But note, even while making that claim, even while talking about how people need to be allowed to talk about these things, there are four or five or half dozen references to all the bigots that hate the game solely for inclusion, which are undoubtedly, as I said, out there. But are they a significant group? I have my doubts. Finally, I want to leave you with a quote that Neil Druckmann gave to Eurogamer when he was talking about the theme of The Last of Us Part Two. Often, when there's a conflict with another tribe, we dehumanize them. We make them less than us so that we can justify the things that we do in the pursuit of justice. I think Neil is right here, but he's also myopic, and it results in a fairly ironic comment, because if there's anything that The Last of Us Part Two has succeeded in proving here in June and July of 2020, it's that there is conflict with other tribes. They will dehumanize you, and oftentimes the dehumanizing tribe is the one called Naughty Dog. This has been virtual legality for today if you enjoyed this video thank you so much thank you to all the new subscribers over the last couple of days we're now almost at two hundred thousand views to our dr disrespect to the mystery of the silent band video so thank you to everyone who has shared that around who has commented on that who has helped it trend in various places that i never thought a video from this channel would trend upon if you like this conversation we are talking about this kind of thing law and business and all these various other aspects of both of those through the lens of pop culture, particularly video games, but also movies, television, the internet technology giants at large. And if you like this, please share it around. Share it on the various forums that you attend. Tell anybody that we're here. We love having these conversations. If you watch this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality.